welcome to Open Source Underdogs. I'm your host, Mike Schwartz, and this is episode 35 with Loris Deguani, co-founder and CTO of Sysdig. For you older geeks out there, Loris is a legendary technologist who is one of the authors of Wireshark, a tool which, used correctly, could seem like black magic to laymen. So hearing the voice behind Wireshark is probably reason enough to listen to this episode. Sysdig has raised over $120 million on revenues of $30 million, employs around 200 people. So to say that they've been successful for a company founded about six years ago is an understatement. Loris has some unique metaphorical advice for entrepreneurs at the end of this interview. So make sure you hang in there. So enough of my blabbering. Let's get on with it. Loris, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me. What was it about cloud-native infrastructure that gave you the idea for Sysdig? Oh, so this is actually sort of a long story. Cloud-native infrastructure is, in my view and in terms of uh, the rational and motivation to start Sysdig, just an inflection, one of the many inflection and radical changes in uh, computer architectures. We've seen several of them in the last couple of decades. The switch from physical servers to virtual machines that generated the rise of VMware and similar companies. The evolution of uh, virtualization into public cloud like Amazon, AWS, and so on. And most recently, the birth of containerization and modern application orchestrators like, for example, Kubernetes created by Google. Each of these uh, big radical changes in the ecosystem typically require to reinvent the functionality that was available before because the whole ecosystem needs essentially to to update to, to the new paradigm. And that's essentially what I've done when I started Sysdig. I essentially reapplied my previous experience in open source and commercial products. And uh, I just tried to make something that would be perfectly suited for the new world of uh, cloud computing and Kubernetes. To give you a little bit more context, essentially, I come from a background. I've done computer networks and uh, computer packet capture, network packet capture for the first 10 years of my career, started in 2000. In particular, my first company was called Case Technologies and was uh, behind an open source packet network analyzer called Wireshark that essentially reshaped the industry of being able to essentially capture, you know, network traffic and look into networks. And that company was acquired in 2010 by a bigger company called Riverbed. And when I was at Riverbed, I became the CTO of uh, one of their business units and I was in charge of the roadmap, uh, product roadmap for the business unit that was doing visibility and performance management for networks and applications by using essentially packets and network packets and so on. I realized that despite the business going very well, the world was changing. And so I tried to essentially reapply what I did in open source and commercial in the previous generation to the new world of cloud native and cloud computing. So that's sort of the summary of the basic reasons why I started this day. So when you started Sysdig, did you start by writing some tools? And I'm wondering if a community coalesced around those tools from the beginning. Yes. And again, I'm going back and I will do it probably multiple times during the podcast to 
my previous experience uh, with uh, Wireshark and with net network packets because there are several parallels. So when I started my first company, essentially we already had Wireshark uh, and previous, even before that, WinPickup, a packet capture driver for, for Windows as uh, strong established open source projects. And that allowed us, me and my co-founders to bootstrap a business in a way that was uh, very efficient with minimal cost and allowed us to create a brand and reach, you know, a pretty substantial market by just essentially having a very strong and very visible open source property that was very relevant for uh, our class of buyers. In that first experience, first myself and other people in that community that that then started the business with with me operated the open source tool and worked with the community for many years before we started the business. When I started Sysdig, my second company, I definitely tried to leverage as as much as possible the learnings. And in particular, I already knew how effective an open source tool adopted by the broader community would be to bootstrap an enterprise and infrastructure company. So when starting Sysdig, I was in a different situation because I didn't have an established open source property, but I decided essentially to, to create one, to leverage its properties to successively create a business. Essentially, first you need to make something useful and you need that to be useful enough that people at least want to, you know, install it, try it, use it, maybe use it in production. And that takes both as a validation for your your idea and also as uh, your initial source of marketing, visibility, lead generation, and so on. So what I did with the, with the SysDig was I had this idea. Essentially, the, the basic idea was like what I was doing before with packets was going to be irrelevant because uh, packets as a data source are not accessible anymore when you have, for example, virtual machines, instances that are running on Amazon AWS. There, you know, you just have like machines that are floating on somebody else's uh, network and infrastructure, right? So you don't really have access to, to the network, to the router, for example, to extract these packets to get inside. Similarly, when you are running containerized infrastructures like based on Docker or Kubernetes and so on, you have these many, many little elements that are pretty opaque and you cannot really, you know, see what they're doing from the network point of view. So I created a technology that would allow people to gain these insights again by essentially sitting in the operating system, like for example, Linux and collecting signals like system calls from this operating system. So long story short, I sort of came up with a technology that would work again and reestablish, you know, that kind of visibility. By doing that, I stumbled into something that would have quite a bit of value for the community. And I decided to release this technology initially as open source to create essentially a tool that would gather a community around it. This was uh, 2014, 2015. So the very first, you know, release that we did of SysDig was bringing this technology as open source to the community. And at the point uh, SysDig was born, at the point the community noticed us, at the point we started having people talking about us, we started having people installing our tools, and that was how SysDig was bootstrapped. 
I see. So Sysdig, the company, actually predated the first release of the software. That's correct. Sysdig was incorporated a few months before the very first release of the software. And then, of course, then the company created a bunch of commercial tools on top of the same technology. But the timeline was uh, company started, open source Sysdig released, and then commercial products came like two years later. Sysdig has several product offerings delivered both as software and as a service. Today, what are the most important products from a revenue perspective? And which products do you think have the greatest growth potential for the future? I was uh, saying before and going back again to the analogy of network packets. And if you look at network packets, as a, they are a very rich and powerful data source on top of which you can build many different things, right? On top of network packets, you can buy, you can build a router, a firewall, an intrusion detection system, a forensics tool, performance management tool, visibility and monitoring. It's just because uh, packets are data source that is uh, very horizontal, very rich in content, and typically pretty straightforward and lightweight to collect. As I was saying before, with Sysdig, the original like technological advancement that we did was uh, inventing, you know, like the new data source that would be similar to packets in terms of properties for cloud native and, and, and the next generation, which means that similarly to packets with this data source, you can create several classes of tools. Sysdig in particular has multiple open source solutions and multiple commercial solutions built on top of them. In particular, from the open source point of view, we have Sysdig, which gave the name of, uh, the name to the company, which is uh, a common line open source tool that is uh, comparable to like TCP dump or Wireshark, uh, but for modern cloud-based Kubernetes-based infrastructures. And then we have a tool called Falco, which is rule-based intrusion detection and uh, runtime protection tool, which is, uh, I often compare it to Tools, open source tools like uh, Snort or Suricata, but for modern Kubernetes uh, environments. These are Falco and Sysdig are completely open source and are completely community oriented. On top of them, we've built two commercial products. One is called Sysdig Monitor, and it's for visibility, performance management, alerting, dashboarding, and so on. And the other one is called Sysdig Secure. And Sysdig Secure has a bunch of functionality to essentially protect modern workloads that are based on Kubernetes, including forensics, including runtime detection and protection, including vulnerability management and image scanning and many other things. Do you bundle those two together or do you sell them individually? We bundle them together. Well, of course, you can buy them individually, but the majority of our customers buys them together. And with regard to cloud or as a service delivered versus software delivered, which one is more important to you? I would say equally, as a service is the future, is our preferred way to deliver our product uh, to our users. At the same time, Sysdig has uh, many enterprise customers. Actually, you know, we mostly serve as a target a customer demographic enterprises like financial, healthcare, media, and so on. And as you can imagine, the SaaS model 
is something that everybody aspires to follow in terms of vendors, but some of uh, these customers are still not ready for that. So as you can imagine, a substantial portion of uh, Sysdig's biggest customers demands from us software that they can install in their data centers. So the commercial tools, are they commercially licensed or is there just a commercial binary? These are commercially licensed. Essentially, the, the model that Sysdig is uh, following is uh, our core technology and some of our core pieces of functionality are open source. I was mentioning Sysdig and Falco before. Those are part of our commercial offering. But uh, at the same time, the commercial offering, instead of just being, you know, like a licensing and support for our open source tools, tries more to create bundles that include some of our open source technology and package it to, to and orchestrate it to work essentially at large scales and complements it with some proprietary functionality that we've built on top of that, which includes uh, both pieces of functionality that are missing in the open source offering and uh, uh, workflows and user interfaces on top of everything. Would you say it's a, an open core business model? I would say it's Sysdig's unique open core model. So it, it is open core, but for example, I don't know, compared to, I have no idea, you know, your typical MongoDB, there's uh, the open source core is more like a relatively small piece of a broader offering rather than just, you know, the core of what we do. This is by design, by the way. Essentially, again, having done open source for quite a bit, I always found it a little bit challenging to just commercialize what we've built in open source because you tend to pretty quickly fall into the dynamic by which you're you're always thinking about every new feature that you build. You know, should I open source it or should I, in quotes, you know, make money out of it? And typically, I don't like to be in that situation. I like to be to have the freedom to not have to have this choice to take every time. And so I prefer to build stuff where there's a more clear, you know, demarcation between what's open source and what's commercial. They work more like together in symbiosis rather than being, you know, one an extension of the other one. And you have more space to evolve to sides in a less, let's say, stressful way. Right. So would you say then that it's more tools where certain tools are open source and certain tools are commercial and that's how you draw the line? Yes. Tools and also use cases based on these tools, right? You know, one of the things I have recently observed is that Cloudera, the database company, and also Chef have gone to a model where they everything they say everything is 100% open source. Has this changed your thinking at all about maybe whether to open source or not certain of the components? Partially, from one point of view, there's the dynamic that you're describing, which I've definitely noticed. On the opposite side, there's some other companies struggling a bit to decide exactly what their posture should be, in particular with regards to cloud providers like AWS taking maybe their software and packaging it for their users, right? Elastic was one of the most recent, recent examples of that. I think that there's no perfect mix. There's no perfect approach. 
I think that every product is different. Every ecosystem is different. Every company is different. Again, from our point of view, more than looking what other companies are doing, which we definitely do and we take into, into account, we try to do our best to find out what's best for our, our users first, and then what allows us essentially to grow our, our business. Do you think that open sourcing the sum of the software has materially benefited the company? Absolutely. Has and still is materially benefiting the company. One example that I can bring is, uh, I mentioned Falco as uh, one of our core open source initiatives. We're putting quite a bit of uh, focus around it because, uh, as I was telling you, you know, there's an exploding ecosystem. The Kubernetes one, which is uh, more and more, you know, shaping to, to become the operating system for the cloud, you know, so the platform on which everybody will build their applications in the future. And one thing that is interesting is that Kubernetes is really gaining a lot of traction and nowadays is essentially been adopted by all of the major cloud vendors because it was an open effort and it was designed to be this kind of lingua franca, completely community oriented, completely open source to build your, your, your modern applications. And we as SysDig strongly believe that's the strength of, of Kubernetes and every single component and piece of functionality in Kubernetes eventually will be community oriented and will be open source. That's why we did something that is not super common in the security in industry. We started open source first. Security industry still, you know, compared to other industries is still quite a, you know, a little bit more protective and a little bit more proprietary in its approach. But uh, SSD, we just decided, okay, first we build a tool, you know, we build Falco. We try to make it part of the ecosystem. We try to make it part of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And we do our best to make it part of the stack. This is, uh, of course, you know, with the goal of providing value and functionality in security for the broader community and having something that can be, you know, like a standard, a part of the stack in the future. But of course, doing that also made us very quickly one of the key players in Kubernetes security as a company. And despite us giving to our community this important component for free, it's also helped us essentially grow our revenues in the space. So yes, this has been very useful for us as a business. So attaching to this really fast-growing ecosystem and becoming part of the stack had a huge marketing distribution advantage for you. Yeah, and attaching to, to an ecosystem like this is only possible if you're truly community-oriented, right? So that gave us an, an advantage compared to our competitors and is allowing us to grow faster than our competitors in the space. You made an interesting comment about security not always being open source. I don't know if you know, but so my company is in the identity security area and we're open source. And I was just reading one of the S1s of our competitor, Ping Identity, who's going public. And I did a search, a tech search for open source in their S1. And the only reference I had I could find to it was a, a mention of the risks of open source software and how use of open source software might come back to hurt them in the future and therefore it was a risk to investors. Do you think there's a disconnect somehow between investors' perceptions of open source and the reality that you see as a technical professional using open source? I think that traditionally, for sure, 
in the investment community at any stage, you know, starting from seed to going public, there's been a skepticism in the investment community. There's been skepticism because, uh, you know, one of the things that many people say is that open source has generated less winners than expected. And not a lot of these winners have become really, really big. We could argue with it, but I'm just, you know, reporting what I've heard several times in the invest investment community. At the same time, I am seeing more and more investors becoming sophisticated, becoming smarter, understanding what open source means, actually supporting it. I can, for example, make two examples that are extremely close to me. I have two investors that uh, bet on Sysdig pretty early on, Bank Capital Ventures and Excel. And uh, in particular, my board members, uh, Salil Despante and, uh, and Ping Lee and Eric Walford from these two firms, these are really strong open source believers that really understand what an ecosystem means, are able to drive it, have uh, a track record of generating, you know, successes with uh, open source companies. So the investors are there. The mindset is changing. I'm seeing even just recently, you know, multiple funds, VC funds being created to focus specifically on open source. I think that uh, the enterprise space, which is the one where Sysdig operates, is particularly ripe for the disruption from open source. So I think that despite things not probably being where they should be, they are changing quite fast, especially driven by by a group of people that, uh, that are like, uh, you know, leading the charge. And in the future, we'll see more and more of this exactly for, for the reason that you just mentioned, you know, open source will become even more than now, you know, uh, the, the, the approach that dominates the software industry and software is becoming more and more important. So there's no escape, you know, that winners will be generated, uh, existing players will be disrupted. And sometimes it, take, it takes a long time, but uh, it always happens. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges today for open source startups? Since we were just talking about funding, it related to that is business model, right? I think that in some verticals, for example, you know, databases, we now understand the open source model, you know, like the go-to-market model pretty well. And we've witnessed, you know, Mongo, Elastic, you, you, there's many of them, you know, Cloudera, we've witnessed so many success stories that essentially leverage sort of a similar playbook or at least a variation of two or three playbooks. In those verticals where like uh, the playbook is understood, I'm not saying straightforward, but it's pretty clear how you approach this. But open source is everything, you know? Open source is much more than, than databases and ranges, you know, anywhere from the operating system to user interface stacks, you know, or JavaScript stuff. So I feel that in many of these areas, the go-to-market motion is uh, less established, less proven, and still requires a lot of creativity and experimentation from the founders, which also means that uh, at the beginning, the open source model can be relatively expensive to fund, right? Because uh, from one point of view, you're focusing on your community and that takes work, you know, especially when you're a small team and takes focus and you, you have to do that which means that you are investing upfront and you're spending time and money upfront as you have to essentially figure out the approach to market and the business model. In my opinion, having bootstrapped two open source companies, that's also the most delicate and the toughest part of the journey. One last question. 
because you you have started two businesses, and I would imagine most people who started one would know the dangers and and um, emotional roller coaster of that journey and not want to do it again. But do you have any advice for entrepreneurs, the people going through through that process of starting a business and not only starting a business but starting it using open source? I wish I was able to say you know something magic that teaches uh, people how to do this. I think that the only thing that I learned about, especially about, you know, the very, very early stages of a company is don't give up. It's really inch by inch. Celebrate every little small success because that's how you survive. You will get a thousand punches for every little success that you have and you need to cling to, to those because it is really a game of inches, you know, it's just the way it is. And number two is jump in the pool on the deep end, in the pool with sharks. And uh, that's the best way to find out if you can, if you can swim or not. You know, I think if there's something that makes me different from, from other people that maybe have not started company or have not, not been successful, that is, uh, I just do it and then, and then I try to figure out how to survive and. Yeah, we'll see what happens with Sysdig because uh, it's still relatively early in the life of the company. But at the same time, Sysdig has over 200 people now. So it's a pretty decent size organization. And I'm still trying to learn how to swim, you know, even at this stage. Thank you so much, Loris, for sharing some of your thoughts today. Thank you very much for having me. This was fun and a pleasure. Thanks to the Sysdig team for helping to organize and promote this podcast. Transcription and episode audio can be found on opensourceunderdogs.com. Music from Broke for Free and Chris Zabriskie. Audio editing by Inez Satenji. Production assistance and transcription by Natalie Lau. Operational support from William Lau. Have comments? Tweet at us. The Twitter handle is at FOSS Podcast. That's F-O-S-S Podcast. iTunes listeners. Send us your five stars, and please subscribe to the podcast. That really helps us get the word out. Next week, we have Bart Copeland from Active State, another legendary company in the open source ecosystem. Don't miss it. Until then, thanks for listening.